Good morning. Our scripture this morning comes from Luke 4. If you are willing and able, would you please stand while I read verses 1 through 13. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, I want to say hi to everyone here in our room. Thank you for joining us today. Um, Those of you watching online, great to have you with us as well. So whether you're here in person or online, watching here in Orlando or around the world, wonderful to have you with us today. Uh, If you're new with us, I I want to say hi to you. I'm really glad that you're with us. Uh, Great to have you here. Um, We uh, shared a little bit last week, we're going to be in a sermon series that'll take us through next May called Encounters with Jesus. We'll, we'll break it up into smaller little series, but uh, in light of the country we're in right now, in light of the culture we're in, very divided uh, at this time, uh, we wanted to fix our, our focus and our hopes in Jesus, uh, that he would be kind of this uniting force for us as a church uh, as we look at his life in the gospels and all that he accomplished. Today, our encounter is going to be very different from other ones that we will see uh, during our time together. Uh, The encounter today takes us into the wilderness. And uh, when I say the wilderness, the wilderness uh, in the Bible and the wilderness that you may understand here in America are very different. Uh, When a friend tells you they are going to the wilderness, uh, they usually mean something like I'm going to go camping or glamping, whatever your, your preference is. Um, uh, it's usually going to involve trees, uh, unhindered natural beauty. Um, maybe there's a, a water source, a lake, a stream, a river. Uh, this is what we think of wilderness, but the wilderness in the Bible is the desert. Uh, no trees, uh, no water. Um, and it's in this place called the wilderness that God's people are, are tempted And so how do we respond to temptation? That's what we're going to be looking at today. And we have three questions that we need to answer. Uh, First question is, who is the tempter? Second, how does he tempt? And lastly, how do we overcome? Who is the tempter? How does he tempt? How do we overcome? First, who is the tempter? And what we see in this passage is we are introduced to 
the tempter known as the devil. And, uh, you know, throughout the Bible, we see this personification of evil uh, as the devil. And the second I say uh, the devil, uh, many people in the modern world, uh, they struggle with that concept. And you may be here, you may be watching online. As I mentioned, the reality of the devil, you may be saying, gosh, Tyler, that's so archaic, so primitive, so backwards. How would anyone continue to argue for the existence of the devil? That might be you today. Uh, um, and you would not be alone actually. Um, in fact, George Barna, who's done a study, he, he does a lot of polling. Uh, he says this, the notion that Satan or the devil is a real being who can influence people's lives is regarded as hogwash. I love that word, uh, hogwash by most Americans, only one quarter, 27% strongly believe that Satan is real. While the majority argues that he is merely a symbol of evil. And this morning, Um, I will start with the premise, if you are a skeptic of Christianity, that you may have some real issues with this idea of the devil and and may struggle to understand how does the devil make sense in our modern world? Uh, You may not know this, but 500 years ago, uh, to believe in God and the devil, if you didn't believe in them, you were an extremely minority position. Uh, But nowadays, uh, to believe in the idea of a devil goes against all our understanding of the modern world, uh, the five senses, uh, any sort of reality outside what we can see and touch in our world. Uh, But I want to argue that the devil is real. And so I'll start with the Bible and work my way out. Jesus, Paul, Peter, and others in the Bible argue over and over again about the reality of the devil. Paul calls him the great deceiver. Peter calls him the roaring lion. And Jesus over and over in the gospels refers to this reality, the devil and supernatural evil. And so I would argue that we cannot accept these other ideas that Jesus promoted ideas of God's love, serving our neighbor, uh, justice for the oppressed, um, all these other ideas that he argued for. Uh, we cannot hold those and reject the other things they talked about, like the devil and evil. To, to accept those and reject the idea of the devil would be just arbitrary. Um, now, you may be saying, oh, well, Jesus was a wonderful guy, uh, but he was just a product of his time. Uh, if he lived in our wonderful modern world, then he would clearly also see the world the way I see it. You may be saying, we, we don't really need a devil. And that may be you this morning. Uh, but if you struggle with the idea of the modern world, what I need you to see, living in the modern Western culture... The concept of the devil, if you don't believe in the devil, it actually makes your life much, much worse than it does better. And I'll explain. Uh, Andrew Del Banco, who wrote a book called The Death of Satan. Uh, Andrew Del Banco is a professor at Columbia University in New York City. Uh, He is a professed uh, secular liberal, does not believe in religion at all. But Del Banco says uh, our society, American society, is filled with moral concern. Uh, If you don't believe me, just look at Facebook. Uh, What's being proposed? promoted, what's, what's being endorsed, what the, the moral concern, uh, this is the rise of what we're hearing cancel culture. Um, that if you don't abide by the moral concern of our society, we reject you. We, we, we stand against you. There's a high sense of moral concern in our society. Um, and the, re- the reality is what he says is though we're gripped by this moral concern, DeBanco says the moral concern that we have while rejecting the devil Um, leads us to a place where we struggle to have a coherent basis for our moral concern. He says, if we reject the idea of transcendent supernatural evil, if we reject the idea of the devil, he says, we find ourselves in a situation where we have no compass to guide us on what is truly wrong in this world. 
Holocaust, 9-11, nation wiping out other nations, genocide, mass shootings. Del Banco says, if there's no supernatural evil, there's, if there's no devil, we are simply a product of biology, of evolutionary processes, of social conditioning, but there is no evil. We can't be outraged about anything. Uh, we don't have a moral compass to guide us on which we base our moral concerns. There's, we can't say anything is wrong at that point if there is no devil. This is what Del Banco was saying. Uh, Flannery O'Connor, who was a 20th century author, considered by some to be one of the greatest short story writers of the last century. She noticed this happening in the 1900s. Uh, she talked about this in her book, Mystery and Manners, where, where she says that as we begin to reject this idea of a spiritual world, to reject the idea of a spiritual world where there is a God and there is a devil and there is this evil, what happens is when we reject those realities, she says, we live in a world where its logical outcome, quote, is terror. It ends in forced labor camps and in the fumes of the gas chamber. Do you hear the irony, she says, to disregard the work of the tempter and to say that he is not real only opened us up in the last century to more horrific evil. Here's the way this gets really practical for us today. I read an article a couple weeks ago about two cyber criminals who were charged for intentionally trying to hack COVID vaccine research, private business information, and other sensitive materials and documentation. These cyber attacks have slowed down the research process for moving a potential vaccine forward for COVID. Now, the feeling that you have when you hear that, where you say these two, these two hackers, what they're doing is wrong. What they're doing is evil. Del Banco says that we, we can't say that if we do away with the devil. We, we, we don't have any sort of moral compass anymore to name something right and something wrong. It reminds me of Kevin Spacey's character in the movie, Usual Suspects, Kevin Spacey, one of the great lines of that movie, what he is known for is this line. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Friends, there is a tempter, a tempter who is coming for your soul and mine. And we have to recognize this force in the world that he speaks into, that the temper, tempter's reality is the only way for us to make sense of our reality. So that's our first question. There is a tempter in our world. So how does this tempter tempt us? Well, that's our second question. And what we see in this passage is a case study in the life of Jesus of how the tempter tempts all of us. Uh, the devil comes to Jesus with these different scenarios. Uh, notice that the tempter never forces us uh, he never grabs our hand and leads us. He, he, he works, he lures, he invites each of us into his world. He is real, but he never works against our choices. And what we see in this case study with Jesus is what I would call the four main places that the devil will tempt each of us. Now, based on our temperament, those will, those will come at different and varying levels for each of us, but four main ways that the devil will tempt us. Comfort, power, approval, and control. These four dark alleyways that the devil longs for us to go with him into, to journey with him, to see what he would have for us, to see what we are missing, to see what is rightfully ours. Comfort, power, 
approval, and control. Where do we see those? Well, right here in this passage, in verse three, we read this. Jesus says, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. Uh, Jesus at this moment is physically depleted. Uh, He has not eaten for 40 days. He's physically depleted, but not only that, he's also psychologically depleted. Uh, When your body goes through such harsh physical conditions, such treatment, there is an effect on your mind. If you don't believe me, you can ask a Navy SEAL. They know this reality. The, the, The limits that they are pushed to, the limits they push their body to, what those cause on their mind. I don't know if many of you have ever heard of Bear Grylls. Uh, he was a, a great adventurist. He had a show called Man vs. Wild. Uh, and in the show, uh, Bear Grylls gets dropped into all these remote locations. And, and all, he has only what's on his body he can use to survive these conditions, these, these survival mechanisms, these harshest climates, the harshest conditions. And, and Bear Grylls will eat literally anything that crawls on the ground uh, for his source of fuel. And it, these nasty things that he always reminds you of that he's eating that are packed with vitamins, he says. Uh, he's British. The vitamins. Uh, my kids, they love Bear Grylls because every time the show comes on, he will always say the vitamins. Uh, But before Bear Grylls was a celebrity TV reality star, uh, he was in the British military. And he shared the story about in his training, he was with the other military cadets and they had to go on a very long hike uh, with very little food and very little water, physically depleted. And as they were coming down the mountain, they could see off in the distance, the military vehicle that awaited them, that they had arrived that the finish line was just out there. And as they made their way to those military vehicles, the person in charge said, we wanted to inform you, you are now halfway. You have to turn around and go exactly back in the same direction from which you came. And Bear Grylls shares that this moment of testing was as much for their physical testing, but even more so for their psychological testing, what it was doing to their mind that, that they hit this wall. And the question was, how would you respond? And one by one, the military cadet said, I'm not doing that. I'm done. I just take me home. And they packed up in those military vehicles and they left. You see, when many of us are pushed to the limits Comfort becomes an incredible tempter. Does anyone want to guess how much Netflix subscriptions have gone up since the start of COVID? The BBC reported that there have been 16 million signups, and that does not even account for the summer months. Let's be honest this way. Which show have you binge watched over this COVID season? I can name four for me. You see, this COVID season has been an incredible stressor on you, your brain, and your body. Uh, When when your body senses this stressor in its environment, uh, it it begins to shoot cortisol to you, to to stay active, to stay alert, to to be a part of what everything is going to be okay. And that's great when it's a short-term stressor. But when it's a long-term stressor, like a global pandemic, it causes many effects on our bodies and your body begins to long for comfort. Let me ask it this way. What grocery store aisle did you or a family member clean out before someone else got there? The toilet paper, the sanitizer, the meat, the chips, the bread, the chocolate. 
When stress comes, we look for comfort. We want to numb out. Long before the bread grocery store aisle was ransacked by mass hysteria and COVID, the tempter invited Jesus to make some bread. Uh, To make some bread, the devil said, Jesus, you're tired. Uh, Jesus, you're depleted. Uh, Jesus, your stomach is growling. Make some bread and experience the pleasure that you are looking for. You see, comfort comes in many forms for each of us. For some of us, it's overindulging with food. For some of us, it's entertainment. For some of us, it is images that we look at while everyone else is asleep. It could be gossip. It could be being in the know. It could be this incredible ability that we have to scroll on social media for hours. The tempter will say to you, life is only worth living if you can enjoy this pleasure. Whatever that is for you, don't worry. The tempter knew what it was for Jesus, and he sure knows what it is for you. Where are you searching for comfort? That's the first one. Next, we see Jesus is led to the, by the tempter to see his reign, to see his authority, what it could look like if he bowed in allegiance to the devil. This is what it says in verse five. The devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will be yours. Well, another name for the tempter is the deceiver. Uh, He's not only, he's not given this authority, but he offers it to Jesus as an invitation. And what we find is there are different reasons for why authority has such a tempting power on us. Uh, For some of us, authority, it's the power that authority gives us. And for others of us, it is the approval that authority gives us. So let's first look at the approval. Jesus is tempted with having the approvals of others. The devil's essentially saying, listen to this. Look, I, look how many Twitter followers you're going to have if you receive my authority I have to give you. Look at all the A-list dinners that you're going to be invited to when you accept my rule and authority. You see, longing for the approval of others is the response to fear that we have inside of us that we will be rejected, that we are not enough, that the tempter will say to you, life is only worth living if you are loved and respected. We will say to ourselves, I'm okay when I get that promotion, when I have that status, when I live in that neighborhood, when I get my body back. Uh, Two weeks ago, uh, we went with our family uh, to visit my parents and my extended family in North Carolina. And my folks live on the water. And so one day we decided to go out in their boat uh, to go wakeboarding. Now, I have not been wakeboarding for probably 10 plus years at this point. So I'll I'll say inside, I was very nervous about this experience, frankly, a little terrified. Um, I did, I did not want to end up in the hospital. I I did not want for uh, people to, to look down on me if I fell and, you know, just ate it really bad. And I especially didn't want my son Lane, who's watching me uh, to have this disgrace of his dad who, who couldn't wakeboard. Um, but I'm here to tell you all, uh, in that moment, um, with wakeboarding that I still have it. Um, I still have it. I didn't know I, I didn't know I did, but I still have it. And, uh, there was this moment after we had finished, 
um, that as I was getting back into the boat, uh, that Lane, our son, my son looked at me. He said, dad, you are amazing. You were so much better than uncle Todd and uncle Matt. And all I kept thinking in my head was don't forget it, son. Don't forget it. Now my back did not think I was so amazing two days later. But this is the intoxicating addiction we have to the approval of others. It beckons us to the wilderness and it promises us it will fulfill us, but it never will. Where are you addicted to the approval of others? Here's a question to have you answer this. How often this past week did you bend the truth to keep someone's approval? Is this where the devil is tempting you? So for some of us, authority, it's about the temptation of approval. But for others, authority is about the temptation of power and what it gives us, that we get to call the shots, that we are in charge. Uh, I, I received a social media ad this past week from the Children's Museum in Naples, Florida. I don't know how I got that. I've never been to Naples in my life. Uh, but the ad read, build your own kingdom. Build your own kingdom. Uh, Power is an incredible temptation. Uh, The the reason we long to see power working in our lives is is we, we buy into this idea. We can build our own kingdom. Once I have the authority, no one can hurt me. Uh, No no one can question me. You see, this is the tempter's invitation to you. Uh, Life is only worth living if I have power and influence over others. It's when I'm in the meeting and and my voice is the final voice. It's when uh, someone who's hurt me or someone who's wronged me, uh, I can put them in their place. When I speak, everyone, everyone does what I say. Uh, Caleb is our youngest son and he loves music more than any of our other kids. Very clear. He loves music. And his favorite song right now, I think, I think, I'm not sure about this, is You, you Ain't ha- Never Had a Friend Like Me from Aladdin. Um, and if you know the song, please don't start singing. Um, you Ain't Never Had a Friend Like Me. And um, we have an Amazon Alexa in our house, and Caleb really, really wanted to hear the song. And so Rachel said, hey, Alexa, can you play You Ain't Never Had a Friend Like Me? And uh, we've run into this from time to time that we... Alexa will speak back to us and say, I'm sorry, uh, you need to have Amazon Unlimited. Uh, You need to have a subscription to Amazon Unlimited uh, to actually hear this song. And then Alexa goes on and on and on for about a solid minute, explaining to you, uh, I can sign you up right now for this. Uh, It'll be free for this month, but then it'll be $3.99 per month every month after that. And we're always ready for this moment because Alexa, her final prompt to you is she says, would you like to sign up now? And Rachel and I are always ready to jump in and say no at that moment that we would not like the subscription. But Caleb is sitting there. And before Rachel could get no out of her mouth, Caleb goes, yes. (laughs) To which point you ain't never had a friend like me started right up. So if anyone has $3.99 a month uh, for me going forward, I would greatly appreciate that. Power has an incredible effect on our lives. Caleb, already at four, 
is learning the tempting power of power. Where is power destroying your marriage, ruining your career, damaging your friendships? The the devil will tell us that the authority that you need, the authority that you must have, all you have to do is give $3.99 per month and then you will know how amazing it is. But life is never that easy. And anyone who ever has that power, we've seen serious consequences before. Lastly, the tempter comes to us and he comes to Jesus and he says this in verse nine. And he, he took them, he took Jesus to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. You see, the devil, uh, he comes here, he quotes several Old Testament passages to Jesus. Jesus. Uh, this is how the tempter tempts so well. There's always a measure of truth buried within what he invites us into. The deception only works when there is a partial truth connected to it. And here we see the tempter tempts Jesus with his ability to control the future. The devil says, you can have unlimited security. Uh, You you can have unlimited protection. You, You can live in a world where you have nothing to worry about. You see, control is a powerful motivator that keeps our minds racing all throughout the day. And sadly, for many of us, through the night. It could be whether will I get my job back? Uh, Whether the business will go under. Whether this vaccine will work. Whether my kids will be safe. We receive the tempter's invitation over and over again where he says to us, life is only worth living If you can have mastery over a certain area that you're longing for. If you want to know if control is tempting you in the wilderness, when you are alone with your thoughts, where do your thoughts go? Archbishop William Temple said, your religion is what you do with your solitude. Your religion is what you do with your solitude. What grips your solitude? What fills your worry? That is what you are trying to control. Pastor Tim Keller said it this way. Worry is not believing God will get it right. And at some point, if we're honest, we, we have to come to this re- realization that the tempter has found our soft spot. <laughs> he, he, he's found where we're weak. He, he has found the way to lure us in. He has lured us, he's deceived us, and much like the fish, we find ourselves on the line again. And how did we fall for this sham? So how do we overcome the tempter's tempting? Well, that's our last question. And right here in this passage is one of the best pictures of the gospel in all of the scripture. Now, why do I say that? Well, for most of us, and I was taught this way as well, when I've heard this passage taught on or preached. Uh, this is the way I heard this passage taught to me. Tyler, stop screwing up. Do what is right. Get your life together. Please be like Jesus. And usually uh, it, it would go, the sermon would go, hey, be like Jesus. And here, here you, you, you quote the scripture back. And those are some great applications from this passage. But if the main goal is for me, Tyler Groff, to be like Jesus, then I will not make it a week. I don't know about you. Here's why I say this. The reason the second 
that the tempter gets me in the wilderness and I fall for whatever it is. Once again, I'm filled with despair and shame and regret and insecurity. But worse, if I make it through the week and I resist the tempters tempting, I'm puffed up. Look what I did this week. Look how amazing I was. And we fall into a situation where we're filled with pride by the tempter. And so what we see is that religion comes telling us that there's this program we have, but what we find is there is a ditch on both sides. We keep saying we need a program, but what we need is not a program, but a priest. We don't need a program. We need a priest. And now someone's probably thinking, come on, Tyler, you're so backwards. You get with the times a priest. Are you kidding me? But what you and I are looking for in a thousand different places is to know how will I know everything will be okay? How do I know everything will be okay? Despite my imperfections, despite my insecurities, despite my regrets, despite my failures, how can I know everything will be okay? You see, this is what the priests declared to the people. The priest stood as the mediator between heaven and earth and the priest entered the presence of God on behalf of the people to plead, to plead for the people. We're all looking for a program, the latest thing to tell us we will be okay, but what we're really needing is a priest. And this passage tells us that there is a priest to whom all other priests were but just a shadow. All other priests were pointing to this priest. Now, why do I say that? Well, it's clear at the end of Jesus's baptism on through uh, to the genealogy that Luke tells us about on through to this passage that Luke is comparing two sons of God. He's comparing two sons of God. We see in Jesus's baptism, uh, chapter three, verse 22 of Luke, uh, where, where God's voice comes over Jesus's baptism and says, you are my son. That Jesus is declared the son of God. And then just as we enter in through the genealogy of Jesus, at the very end of that genealogy, we realize his line goes all the way back to Adam, the Adam of Eden. And it says, Adam, the son of God. Uh, There's a New Testament scholar named Dr. G.K. Beale, and he wrote a wonderful book where he outlined that the Garden of Eden is actually an archetype, a, a, a foreshadow of God's temple that was to come. Uh, And he says that uh, what God comes to Adam and Adam is told to serve and to guard the garden in Genesis 2.15. And what Beal says is that those two Hebrew words to serve, avad and shamar, to guard or to keep, those two words for keeping, guarding the garden of Eden are the same two words used for the Old Testament priests throughout the Old Testament, that they were to uh, serve the temple, that they were to guard the temple, that we see here this picture of Adam as the priest. But Adam was a priest who had all the resources of Eden, but he was tempted and he fell because he believed the devil's lies and his sin was imputed to us. This is why we find ourselves in the wilderness all the time. Uh, It's why when no matter how many times we try to control things or people in our life, we feel it produces even more anxiety. Uh, It's why when we, when we hunt and we thirst for others approval, uh, we find ourselves more insecure. Uh, It's why we feel such regret when we've given into pleasure. Once again, 
We, you see, we have Adam in our veins. But the good news of the gospel is not that you and I have a program for a better life, but that you and I have a better priest. A priest who conquered the greatest test of all and who is our mediator before God, not for us to receive condemnation, but for you and for me, despite however many times we've wandered to the wilderness, for you and I to receive grace, sheer grace, free grace, unadulterated grace. You see, Jesus was tempted like you and me and where Adam fell and where we have fallen, Jesus is our priest forever till the end. He intercedes for us between us and God, no matter how many times we've fallen, no matter how many times that we've given in, no matter the secret we have kept hidden or the addictions we can't release, there is one who defeated the tempter for you and for me. And on the cross, he declares your and my victory to the end. You see, the gospel is not what you do. That's, that's religion. The gospel is what Jesus has done. This is why John, at the end of his gospel, his final words, Jesus' final words on the cross were, it is finished. It is finished. What was finished? His perfect righteousness that is now imputed to all who put their faith in him, to all who give their life to him. Have you done that? Have you said, I need a better priest? I need a priest. I'll say it this way. It is the only way you will find freedom. It's the only way you will get the victory that you were looking for in a thousand other places. It will never be your your performance because that will only leave you disappointed. But we have a priest who journeyed into the wilderness for us to secure our standing before God forever. This is the way the writer of Hebrews tells us. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Draw near my friends, draw near. There is no condemnation for the wilderness wanderer today who has come to the end of their rope. It's actually at the end of your rope, God does his best work. The sins that you cannot forget, God cannot remember. We don't need a program. We need a priest. And when you get that, when that gets to the core of your heart, you will rejoice because in that moment, you will know there is nothing left for you to prove. There is nothing left for you to earn because everything you need right now in Jesus already you have. John Bunyan, who uh, was a terrific author, a Puritan author who wrote the Pilgrim's Progress. You may know that one, but he had an autobiography where called uh, the, the chief, the grace abounding to the chief of sinners uh, where Bunyan um, talks about his life and, and as he fell into temptations, the despair that came over him, the despondency that came over his life as he, as he wrestled with, how can God receive me when I have lived this way? But Bunyan had an awakening one day, and this is what he says. One day, as I was passing into the field, this sentence fell 
upon my soul. Thy righteousness is in heaven. And I saw with the eyes of my soul, Jesus Christ at God's right hand. There I say was my righteousness. So that wherever I was or whatever I was doing, God could not say of me, he lacks my righteousness for that was just before him. I also saw moreover that it was not my good frame of heart that made me righteousness better, nor yet my bad frame that made my righteousness worse for my righteousness was Jesus Christ himself. The same yesterday, today, and forever. Now did my chains fall off my legs indeed. I was loosed from my affliction and irons. My temptations also fled away. So that that time, those dreadful scriptures of God left off to trouble me. Now, when I also home, rejoicing, rejoicing, rejoicing for the grace and the love of God. What Bunyan saw is he didn't need a program for his afflictions. What he needed was a priest. There is a rejoicing and there is a freedom For those who look up to heaven and they see Jesus, their priest, who pleads his grace over our temptations. Draw near, my friends. Draw near. There's a priest. And it is finished. Let's pray. Well, Father, we come into your presence And despite our shortcomings, we know we can enter your presence right now full of confidence because we have a priest who intercedes on our behalf forever. For those who need encouragement despite their struggles, may they know that they have received grace this morning if they've put their hands in this Savior's hands. Jesus himself, our priest, in his finished work. We pray this in his name and for his glory. And the church said, amen. Amen.